You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Listen live on 98.7 or 98.3 FM or stream live from rwpfm.com.au. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Into our science and technology news for the week. There's been a lot of news going on uh, in recent times, and we've actually taken a break, as we mentioned earlier, so we're going to cover things that have been happening over the last month on the science and technology news front. One thing that caught my eye was direct evidence of complex prebiotic chemistry from a water-rich world in the outer solar system provided by 4.5 billion-year-old halite crystals hosted in the Zag and Monahans meteorites. These were found back in 1998. And it's kind of related to the Dawn mission. Now, this is a, it's an ion-propelled spacecraft, mm-hmm. NASA spacecraft, that travelled out first through the, the asteroid belt to Vesta, which mm-hmm. is a, uh, a very rocky protoplanet-type object, mm-hmm. quite large, I think about 500 kilometres in diameter. They went into orbit around that, and then, having studied that, taken close-up photos, and there's stuff on the website, you can go to the NASA's Dawn website to look at photos of, of Vesta, having gone into orbit, done a study, used its spectrometers and all that sort of stuff, which actually actually confirmed that rocks found on Earth, these meteorites, actually had exactly the same spectral signature from the spacecraft looking down on, on the protoplanet. So meaning those rocks... Meaning, that, meaning that confirming that they were yeah, from right. Vesta. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, look, that's a long story, but it's to do with the early solar system, the formation of the solar system, the reason why there's an asteroid belt, the big planets were moving around in their orbits. Mm-hmm. And I've actually tweeted a really interesting video that's it's on our Twitter feed, and it's, which is on our website, beyondinfinity.com.au, or you can go directly to our Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. That shows you a computer simulation of what the early solar system looked like mm-hmm. and how Saturn, Neptune, Uranus and Jupiter were kind of moving each other around. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very large objects, so they had considerable gravitational tug on each other. Mm-hmm. Anything smaller tended to get broken up or flung in or out of the solar system. We know that Vesta actually resulted in a, a class of objects that are known on Earth known as Vestoids, right. which came down as a result of that those early movements of the giant planets in the outer solar system. So great confirmation there from the Dawn spacecraft at Vesta. Then it continued on. It's the, only, it's the first spacecraft and only spacecraft in history to actually go into orbit around two celestial objects in our solar system. Mm-hmm. It, it headed on to Ceres. Yep. Ceres is the largest object. I think Vesta is the second largest in the asteroid belt, about 500 kilometres diameter. Ceres is a very different body. It's about 1,000 kilometres in diameter and the largest body in the asteroid belt. And again, uh, some of the, the signatures of objects that we've got on Earth matched up perfectly with spectral mm. signatures taken at Ceres. Ceres is an interesting place, very different to Vesta, which is rocky, and kind of primordial. Ceres has had a lot more development. It's a lot much more a complex place. It's believed that it may even have a subsurface ocean Mm -hmm. like Titan, like uh, Enceladus, like possibly Europa. Various other places in in the solar system are believed to have subsurface oceans. And then, of course, if you've got water and heat, in the case of the Earth's core, with rocks, with radiation that generates heat. If you've got a heat source, then you've got you know, potential all the, for potential, all the yeah. ingredients for life. Yeah. So Ceres is one of those places that may make the short list. I was even watching something on YouTube last night, which was suggesting that the water's quite accessible, I believe, from the surface, or the frozen water anyway, mm-hmm. ice is, on Ceres, and you could potentially heat it up a bit and terraform an atmosphere on, on that world. Oh, yeah. So you could actually kind of make it even more habitable there. Mm-hmm. It's not that far away. It's closer than... uh, It's between the asteroid belt between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. So they have done some uh, interesting studies there. They're finding 
ammonia and amino acids. These are organic precursors and intermediates and reaction products that make up life's precursor molecules. Interesting places out there, Vesta and Ceres. Now, before we forget the Falcon Heavy launch, the most powerful rocket that's been built since the Saturn V moon rocket. It's got 5 million plus pounds of thrust. I think the Saturn V was about 7.2 million pounds of thrust. Falcon Heavy uses 27 Merlin engines, so three cores, combining three Falcon 9 rockets, Mm. attaching them together with an upper stage on top. It's sitting on a launch pad in Florida now. We were just working out the time. uh, And we think it's early tomorrow morning, Australian time. Because it's the um, Um, 1.30 p.m. Florida local time it will be. So it's about 6.30 a.m. our time tomorrow morning. There will be live web streams of that event. It may even make it onto uh, free-to-air TV in Australia, but uh, otherwise go to the SpaceX website. Assuming the weather's correct as well. So there could be reasons for it to be delayed, but at this stage, I I believe everything's looking uh, good for go. And the website for SpaceX is just spacex.com. Be able to have a look at that, and there's some explanations about the rocket and and how it's put together and the lift capabilities, the type of satellites that it can launch, that sort of stuff. One of the the interesting things about that is it's actually going to be launching a uh, a red Tesla Roadster, Mm. uh, an early model, which uh, I think was owned by Elon Musk himself. Yes. That's in the sort of fairing at the top of the rocket, and that's going to be sent out, I think, beyond the orbit of Mars. And his comment was, I love the thought of a car drifting apparently endlessly through space and perhaps being discovered by an alien race millions of years in the future. Yeah, hopefully they're petrol heads (laughs) or electric heads. (laughs) Just moving on with our news, wearable electronics are all the rage these days, whether you're into fitness or other applications, particularly monitoring your health. They are starting to develop contact lenses which are soft flexible and transparent there's a report which i came across and we'll post in our show notes from advances.sciencemag.org is the web address there's a report on an unconventional approach for the fabrication of a soft smart contact lens in which glucose sensors wireless power transfer circuits and display pixels to visualize sensing signals in real time are fully integrated using transparent and stretchable nanostructures in this instance it's about it could be for monitoring uh, blood sugar levels mm-hmm. for people who've got diabetes. But I'm hoping that this is kind of like the follow-up to the Google Glass project, which was those that wearable thing, which kind of got put on the back burner by Google. People were wearing them and getting abused because they thought they were spying on people yeah. or whatever. But one of the things that the people developing Google Glass were always saying was, you know, that the ultimate would be a heads-up display that's on a clear contact lens that you can mm-hmm. see through and or, or even augmenting impaired vision through yes. a contact lens. Of course. Just finally from me, before I hand over to John, there was an interesting interview with Jack and Palmer, who is the developer of the Doge coin or the Doji coin. He's an Australian. Doggy coin. He's yeah. an Australian guy. I think he was Central Coast, New South Wales, is where he originally came from, but he now lives in San Francisco. He developed that as a joke cryptocurrency, which uh, unfortunately for him, because he got rid of, he gave away all the, the uh, dog coins that he held, doggy coins. But that has a market cap, well, uh, this is a little bit old, this article, but I think it's in excess of a billion dollars. Mm. So he would be a very rich man now if he'd held on to his original holdings of that. I do remember seeing on Reddit a lot, it was that sort of joke of, you know, here's a Dogecoin and there you go, here's another one. And people treat it as a joke, but it has grown now and, and people... I've put a value against it, which is incredible. He, he Just quoting from him, he says that eventually capitalist greed hooked into Dogecoin, just like it has for the rest of, of cryptocurrency. What ended up happening, as has occurred with other cryptocurrencies, is market manipulation in order to drive up the price for some people to make quick profits, that pump and dump yeah. type. I mean, there's uh, server costs and other activity. costs are associated with keeping that running. So maybe people thought, well, we can make a few dollars out of this. And it's just grown from there. Yep. It'll be in our show notes. So if you want to read more about the Dogecoin, you can. 
John, what have you got for us? Well, automation is something we've talked about many times on the show, and we've actually covered a story um, in past about uh, restaurants, or sort of automation, in, mm. and how that can affect jobs. Well, another story has come out that American fast food chain Jack in the Box are considering swapping some cashiers for robots. Basically, they had done some small trials previously, but when they looked at the cost, they thought it was okay to keep real people in those jobs. Mm. But now with uh, many states looking to or have already increased the minimum wage, uh, the costs for automated uh, robots, which can provide the same service, is now attractive. So it does appear as though this will become the norm over the, the following years. Not really, I guess, new to us, but uh, it, it's something that we're going to see more and more. For example, uh, McDonald's is adding uh, kiosks to 2,500 stores, but they've pledged not to replace cashiers with kiosks. So I th- this is sort of that slow integration, and then I think we're probably in the next 10 years, it will really become uh, the norm when uh, minimum wages become greater than what it is to, co- to run some of these autonomous A robots. bit along the lines of, um, I think Amazon's opened a, a cash cashierless shop in Seattle. Yeah. I think it's the first and you've got you have an Amazon app yep. which basically allows you to pay for things in the store. Yep. And obviously things are tagged so that you know I, the, I think like, when you pick it up it recognizes where you are in the store yep. and because you've got your phone in proximity to that yep. and therefore the sensors on the shelf yep. and then that data feeds back into your account. It's only if you take those out of the store then it charges your account. So you could put it back on the shelf and it would be you know, it wouldn't be a sale or a transaction. Okay, yeah. oh, that's good. Yeah. So you could probably you know, take it outside and then, oh, I don't but, want to walk yeah. back in and put it back on the shelf. I believe that's how it works. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Great. Nice to have it here. Mm. Has Facebook reached its peak? It's something where I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Facebook and probably more in the last couple of years has become sort of less of interest to me in mm. using Facebook. Mm. And the, for the first time ever in Q4 of 2017, Facebook have actually come out and said that they lost a million users in the US and Canada. So that, look, it's still it's still a high number of users. It's uh, still 184 million users. And then we're talking US and Canada at this stage. Yep. Uh, and the actual daily users has sort of increased. So you can be a user and use it more. You can use Facebook more, but you may actually lose overall users itself. So some people are using it more and then others just completely give up Because it's so full it. of advertising. I'm actually not on it myself, but my partner is, and I, every so often she'll show me something and you're just going, scrolling down this sort of endless scroll and a lot of it's video mm. with audio and one in three will be some slick ad. So it's just become a billboard. And, become- and some of the people, some of the users that I've followed have suggested that it's a, a mix of things. One is that Facebook continue to play with the algorithms that to serve you content. So when I go into Facebook, Facebook AI is showing me what I think I want to see. Mm. It's not showing it in chronological order. It's showing it in an order that thinks, well, you'd be interested in this story first, but that story could have been from two days ago. Yep. And so sometimes I want to be kept up to date with friends, but I may not see their post until a day or two days later. So it's it's well after the fact. Is there a premium version that you can pay for with Facebook where you just remove the ads? No, you, it's no. not so like... You, it's, you, have to, you have to take them it, it, with, with your friends' posts as well. Yeah, look, mixed a, together. And the, the downfall, if there is one, I mean, it's still very strong. It's the powerhouse. There's, mm. you know, by far... So but losing a million is nothing when you've got it, two billion plus it, subscribers. But is it a signal? It's maybe a very, very small signal. But it's a sort of thing where, you know, maybe people are sick of it a little bit. It's been around for a long time. They've got family members that are wanting to connect with them and maybe they want to share everything with family members. Mm. So looking to other networks, you know, to branch out and, and try those. 
I still think it's going to be a very strong platform for the next five to ten years, but we will probably see quarters where there will be ups and downs, where might gain a million, might lose two million, might gain three million, might lose four million. So then we they might see some fluctuations coming up. Indeed. Just finally, for me, for the news. Uh, on February 22nd, we're talking 2018, this year, there's new data breach notification laws that will come into effect. So basically, this is for Australian businesses. And uh, if you have a turnover of more than $3 million, then you will be required by law to disclose if you've had some cybersecurity issues on your website. Let's say, for example, you have an e-commerce website. Mm. Somebody hacks into that site and takes some data, then it will become law for you to actually disclose that information. Now, we'll have more links in the mm. uh, the show notes. I think there's been talk about doing that for a while, so yeah. it sounds like it's finally sort of happening. And it is, look, it's a good step, but it's also, it's going to be difficult to police because how, how will you follow you know, who's been hacked and who hasn't? So mm. it can be covered up fairly easily. I guess uh, it'll be come down to users then actually notifying the officials and saying, hey, my data was hacked and I know because X, Y, Z. And I guess what it's saying is it's saying that you know because you're going to be forced to disclose it and then by doing that disclosure, you potentially could lose clients because they might go, well, my data might not be safe with this organisation or I might be subject to vulnerabilities that they are or my money might be unsafe, that it will actually force companies to be more vigilant and yeah. take greater steps to, to make themselves secure. And the takeaway from this really is for small business to uh, invest more in sort of the security operations for their online activities. Sure. Bigger companies tend to have a team for this. Yep. It tends to be the small businesses that think, well, I haven't got the money now or it's not a big deal. Mm. And then all of a sudden it can be contact information of customers. It can be supplier information. It can be credit card details, a number of different metrics mm. that can be taken by hackers and then used by them. You now as a business can uh, be essentially held liable if you're not going to disclose this information. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.